If you have a Bible, and I hope you do, open with me to Isaiah chapter 6. We just, uh, we're going to go ahead and have church this morning. Isaiah chapter 6. While you're turning there, let me just kind of set things up for us this way. Today we're going to talk about what not only should be our prayer for the next couple of years, but what should be our prayer as a church. Not only what should be our prayer as a church, but what should be our prayer as Christians. And we, we get to this place in Isaiah chapter 6 where we see it put before us clearly. Our prayer should be simply this, God, use me. And we see this in Isaiah 6 as, as Isaiah says, right? Here I am, Lord, send me. He comes to a place where he is fully surrendered before God and says, here I am, God, send me. That should be each and every one of our prayers this morning. The, the problem with that is it requires complete surrender on our part to get to that heart. C.S. Lewis once said it this way. He said the terrible thing, the almost impossible thing about Christianity is to hand your, over yourself, your whole self, all of yourself to Christ. I'm going to read that again. The terrible thing, the almost impossible thing, about Christianity is to hand over your whole self to Jesus. What makes Christianity so hard? What makes this following Jesus, being a disciple of Jesus, being a Christian so hard? Is that Jesus has come to have every single part of us and nothing less. And this is a, a progressing surrender. Every day you wake up and you might think, well, I'm surrendered. And what, you do, what happens is you wake up the next day, you realize there's still more yet to give, more of self to give. I was reminded of just how hard this is. Danny's in here this morning. I asked her if I could share this story. But I was reminded of just how hard this is um, for us all to grasp. As we, We've been talking a, a good bit about faith with Danny lately and about, about salvation, about what it means to surrender your life to Christ and about Jesus to be in charge of your life. And, and about really about baptism, and we were talking about it the other day, and we were on the way to church, ironically enough, and I said, she said she wants to be baptized, and I said, Dan, it's great, we're so, and we are proud of the faith that God's putting in her heart and working, but I said, we're going to wait just a little bit longer, that way we can be sure that you understand that Jesus is supposed to be Lord of your life, that he's in control of everything, and she said to me, she said, Dad, Jesus is Lord of my life, but there are times when I just need a minute. And I said, amen, you know. <laughs> but that, isn't that what C.S. Lewis is saying? Yeah. That, that this Christianity thing, you have all of me, Lord, but this isn't easy. Like more and more and more and more, and he comes for more, and he's asking for more. And the hard thing about Christianity is that he wants all of us. And we're truthfully never going to get to a place of absolute surrender until we're willing to say, God, take more and more and more. See, the problem is a lot of us in this room, especially those of us who are here every week, we become so familiar with who God is, we take for granted the God that we have. We take for granted what this kingship and lordship means so much so that instead of moving toward complete surrender and total abandonment and saying, God, use us, what happens is we actually move toward consumerism and complacency. So instead of a life of worship and service, what happens is we live a life of God, give me more. 
instead of saying, God, I want you to have more of me, we begin to say, God, give me more. And the reason why Isaiah 6 is such an important passage of Scripture is that Isaiah 6 shows us what, how, how we come to the place where we say, God, take more and more and more of me. So with all that in mind, I'm not going to read the text again. Tracy did a good job of that for us. I'm going to pray, and we're going to dive right into Isaiah 6. Pray with me. God, Lord, I legitimately just come to you for a few minutes, and I'm, I'm talking, I'm praying that you would do something special in this room, God. Not special as in, dear God, just, just people acting crazy or doing crazy things. I mean special in the sense that you would take us before your throne. I mean special in the sense that we might see this morning what Isaiah saw. Dear God, I mean special this morning that we could surrender more and more and more of ourselves so that we can get to the place where Isaiah was this morning where we say, God, here I am. Have all of me. Send me. Do that in, in and among your people this morning. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We're going to do something a little different as we walk through Isaiah 6. We're going to pray our way through this text, okay? We're going, to pr we're going to pray our way this morning to the place where we get to the end of the message today and we might be able to stand before God and say, God, use me. God, have me. So pray your way through the text with me. The first prayer I want us to see this morning is this. God, open our eyes. That's the first thing we're going to pray for God to do this morning. God, open our eyes. Here's the thing we've got to understand. If we're going to be completely surrendered, we need God to open our eyes this morning to see him for who he actually is. Let me ask you a question, all right? And let me just clarify, I'm sitting down for you guys this morning, not for me, okay? Like, I, I, I might come off the stage, okay? This is, Isaiah 6 is, without a doubt, Jenna's heard me preach this message a thousand times. I love Isaiah 6. Let me ask you a question this morning. How do you see God? How do you see God? How, what, when you think about God, what do you think about? Now, I know this is a... This is an odd question, but let me just encourage you with this. This is the most important question you will ever answer. How do you see God? How do you think about God? See, the problem is there are a lot of us who even come to church every week, who, who read our Bible every week, and our context for God is the Jeremiah 29, 11 only context. Well, we know the verse, right? We've seen it printed on every coffee cup. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper in the future. And that's good. That is, a, that's, that is a Bible verse, okay? It's just not the Bible. It's not the whole thing. And so a lot of us, we've been inundated with this mindset about how we see God so much that we approach God as a life coach. We approach God as a cheerleader. We approach God as this genie in a bottle figure who is here simply to give us more of what we need. The problem with that is that God doesn't owe us anything. As a matter of fact, by virtue of you breathing his oxygen this morning, here's what we know. We owe God everything. He owes us nothing. We owe him everything. How you see God, listen, determines how you live your life. I don't want to overstate this, but I don't think I can. A.W. Tozer said it this way. What comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. In other words, it will determine how you live your life. It will determine if you're willing to sacrifice. It will determine if you're willing to suffer. It will determine whether, you're, whether you are chief amongst your affections or God is chief amongst your affections. How you view God determines everything. And let me just say this. How you view God determines whether you will be sustained through life. 
Let me, let me tell you this morning, if you view God simply as Jeremiah 29, 11, God, who is here to bless you because he owes you something, then when life gets hard, and listen, life will get hard, you will walk away because God is not living up to his end of the bargain. But if we view God as the sovereign God of the universe, then when life gets hard, we can come before him with a thankful heart because we still understand he never owed us anything to start with. We are never more surrendered than our understanding of God allows. In other words, if you are not surrendered to God, then your view of God is too small. Isaiah comes to the end of Isaiah 6, and he is completely surrendered to God. Do you want to know why? Because he sees God for who he actually is. And what I want to do, we're going to put Isaiah 6 on the screen. I'm, we're going to walk through it. I want us to see the God that Isaiah saw. And so I'm praying, God, listen, I can't do this. This is something the Holy Spirit will have to do for each and every one of us. But I'm praying God would usher us into this scene, that he would usher us into the temple. Listen to what Isaiah says. Who is the God Isaiah saw? How did Isaiah see God? Here's what he says. He says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Listen to this. King Uzziah is dead. King Uzziah was an was a influential king in, the, in Judah. He was a good king. The nation of Judah had prospered under him. And when uh, Uzziah died, the nation of Assyria was on the rise. And so when Uzziah is dead, the people of Judah are naturally worried because the king is dead, the king is dead, the king is dead. And here's what Isaiah says. Yes, the king is dead, but the God is alive. And here's what he says, that we serve a living God. See, this is a fundamental reality that I think some of us look past sometimes because God is so abstract. But let me encourage you this morning. God is more alive in this moment than you are alive in this moment. God is and God was and God one day will be still. Think about this with me. The, it, it, Uzziah is dead. The nations come and go. God is still alive in this scene. In 120 years, there will be 10 billion new people who populate this planet. None of us will be here. And guess what? God will still be here. What is the Bible saying? That he is first and he is last. He is alpha and he is omega. And even though we die and become footnotes of history, he is still alive. This is a reality. We don't serve some dead God. We don't, that we don't serve some dead God who stayed on the cross. We don't serve some idol. He's alive today. He, he, he is very much the roaring lion today. He's alive. But that's not all Isaiah saw. Look what, he said, what else he says he saw. He said, in the, in the year that King Uzziah died, what? I saw the Lord. And what was he doing? He was sitting upon a throne. Now, Isaiah's making a claim here. He's saying, yes, King Uzziah is dead. But let's be real clear. King Uzziah was never the real king. King Uzziah was only a servant of King Jesus, of King God. And that king, he's still on the throne. You see, I think so many times we get so foolishly caught up in who sits in earthly chairs on earth, and God could care less. Let me, let me put it to you this way. In 1,000 years, Joe Biden and Donald Trump will be footnotes on the pages of history just like Uzziah, but God will still be on the throne. God is not concerned with who sits in the White House, who sits in the Oval Office, because he's still in charge. We, get, we, we minimize the sovereignty of our God. No, our God is the one actually calling the shots. Our God sits on a throne, and you know what he's not worried about? He's not worried about the global U.S. supply chains. You know what he's not worried about? He's not worried about the growing influence of the Chinese government. You know what he's not worried about? He's not worried about the corruption of Vladimir Putin. You know what he is? He's sitting on a throne, he's in charge. He's not worried. And I love where we find God in heaven. He's always sitting. He's never at work. 
You, you never at once find God on the phone saying, listen, Dollar General doesn't have any toilet paper again. <laughs> you never once find God busy trying to put stuff back together. You know, who, cuts the, who mows the lawn in heaven? I don't know, but you know who it isn't? It isn't God. He, every time we find him, he's sitting there. He's not freaking out. He's not worried. He's saying, I'm in control. And get this. He says, I saw the Lord seated upon, a, seated upon a throne, and it was high and lifted up. You know what that means? It means his throne is over every other throne. He is not intimidated. He is not scared. He is not out of control. He is perfectly sovereign. This is a bigger God than most of us are used to. This is a bigger God than most of us deal with on a daily basis. This is, this is who God actually is. He says, I saw the Lord seated upon a throne high and lifted up. And listen to this, I love this. It says, the, the train of his robe filled the temple. Now, when we think about trains and robes, what do we typically think about in modern history? We think about brides, right? And that's not a, that's not a bad comparison, right? Because a, a bride coming in is, a, is an awesome picture, right? Now, just for clarity, we use that word awesome way too much. Uh, we, awesome is a word, I don't know about in your experience, awesome is a word that I'm using when I'm in a conversation that I'm really trying to get out of, right? Man, that's awesome, yeah? Man, that's awesome, right? And you give about 10 or 12 awesomes before you, before you can find your way out of a conversation. Don't judge me, y'all know what it's like, all right? And that's what we, we have, a, that's our context for awesome. But awesome, it, awesome is really more like that bride coming to a groom, right? When, when the doors opened that first time and I saw Jenna, you know what I thought? Man, this is awesome, right? She probably didn't think the same, but, you know, it, at least that's what I thought. This is awesome because what does awesome actually mean? It means it inspires awe, like wow. And that's, the, that's kind of the image we're getting here. But the problem is that's modern context. Modern, in ancient history, we didn't, people really didn't associate um, bride, uh, tra- veils and trains with brides. They associated them with royalty. And so, really, the only people back then who wore, train, who wore trains on their robe were royalty. Why? Well, they were sending the message. And that message is simple. It, it's kind of the equivalent of Princess Diana when she got married. Does anybody remember the train that was on her, uh, on her dress? It, it was way bigger than was necessary. What's it saying? I'm better than you. I can afford nicer things than you, right? Because what did we see? We all saw that train that was on that bridal dress and said, that ain't us, right? We can't afford that. And, but she could. Why? Because she was majestic. That's more like what is, the, is getting at here is that there's God's robe. Get this, we're not even talking about God anymore. We're talking about His robe. God's robe is so big, is so massive, that the train of His robe is filling the temple and it's driving people out of the temple. That's how awesome He is. He's trying to send us a message about how majestic He is, and that message is, is if you were in this room, you couldn't even stay. You'd have to sit outside because my train takes up the whole place. We're dealing with a God who's bigger than we can imagine. It says the train of his robe filled the temple. And then Isaiah turns and he sees these angelic creatures. Notice these creatures. And it says, Each, and above him stood the seraphim. Now, what is the seraphim? Uh, seraphim, I don't know. Guess what? No one knows. Anybody, if you read this in your notes and it's got a little thing that says, here's what the seraphim are, they're lying to you. No one knows what the seraphim is, okay? But they're some kind of angelic creatures. And here's what we can all agree on at the very least. They're weird-looking creatures, okay? But and, and here's the thing. These seraphim do not comfort Isaiah. It's not like Isaiah sees the seraphim and he's like, okay, everything's going to be fine. No, he sees the seraphim, and what does he begin to tell us? He says, each of them had six wings. 
Now, that just seems a little excessive. But what's happening with the six wings? It says with two, they covered their face. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they flew back and forth. And now listen, catch this. What are they doing when they, go, when they fly back and forth? They're covering their face because now these are not sinful beings. These are perfect beings. But the glory of God is so much that they can't even look at him. And notice what they say as they go back and forth. They go back and forth and they call one to another. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Now put this image in your head. This is crazy. That all day long and all night long, for all eternity long, there are these angelic beings and they're flying back and forth and one of them calls the other one, hey, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And the other one calls back, no, no, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And the other one says, no, you don't get it. Holy, holy, holy. And here's the thing. They do this all day and all night. And here's what's crazy. They never feel cheated. They, ne they never want to go do something else. They never, they never get tired of saying, yeah, he's holy, but no, he's holy. They, they, they never look out into heaven and say, man, one of those mansions would be awesome. They want to stay right where they're at. And notice the word holy. This is where the English language is starting to get stretched to the end of its limitations here. Holy, holy, holy. Now, first of all, this is the only threefold superlative we see in Scripture. In Hebrew, when you want to say something is, is emphatic, you don't say deep pit. What you would say is pit pit, right, or, or, or deep deep. You would repeat the adjective and say, see what's happening here. This is the only time in Scripture where we have a threefold repetition. Holy, holy, holy. Now, what does that word holy mean? And you might, you might can Google it and come up with a definition, but here's what I would tell you. No one really knows what that word holy means. Here's, what, here's all we know, that whatever these angels are saying back and forth to one another, they're saying, he's not like us. Holy, separated. He, he's not like you and I. And what are they telling us? That this God you've come before, Isaiah, this God that you're coming before, Harrison Bridge, we know a lot about him, but here's what we know more than anything. He's not like you are. You've come into holy, holy, holy ground. And notice what he says. This says the angels call out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The earth is filled with his glory. Here's what that means. And I, I, think we, I think even we saw some of it this morning, all right? Here's what that means. That if you had eyes to see it, that if your eyes were not blinded right now, you'd look around you and you'd see the glory of God everywhere. Now, here, listen. This is different than the way we normally talk about God. We normally talk about God with a passing glance, a passing thought, a passing allegiance. And what Isaiah sees here, changes everything and here's what i'm praying for each and every one of us and i can't do this only god can do this for you only god can do this for me here's what i'm praying that god would open our eyes to see it first prayer we need to pray is god open our eyes second thing we need to pray is this god forgive our sins notice what happens to isaiah he says that he sees all this and in verse five he says woe is me for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among, in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Now, I love this passage. Man, I, I, lo I love even the way other passages say it. Tracy said, I think Tracy said, oh no, I am doomed. Isn't that good? You might, you might be here this morning, you might have the New King James Version. That's my favorite version for this passage. Here's what it says. I am undone. 
And here's what the, the, the word is implying, that before God, that we, we have somehow, some way come into the presence of this holy God, and when we see him for the first time, we begin to think, oh no, I'm going to die. I should, you ever walked into a room you shouldn't be in, right? You ever been at school I did, and done this? You ever went into the girls' bathroom, guys, right? You walk in, you don't see any, and you realize what that moment, right, where you're like, oh no, I'm in the wrong spot. That's Isaiah here. Oh no, I'm in the wrong spot. I'm, I'm dead. God, don't kill me. God, I'm sorry. And notice why he says, why he says it, because this is really important. He says, woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. Isaiah comes to a fundamental reality when he sees God. He comes to the bottom line reality where he says, oh no, I am a sinner. Now, let me, you heard me right. He didn't say, I am sinful. He said, no, I am a sinner. See, there's a difference between being sinful and being a sinner. That being sinful means you do some bad stuff sometimes, but you're pretty much a good person. It's not what Isaiah says. He says, not that I am sinful, not woe is me, I've made some bad decisions, but I'm a pretty good person. He says, woe is me, I am a man of unclean lips. In other words, by, at my core, I'm a sinner. And I love how he includes his lips here. Because get this, hey, his lips are the best he's got to offer. Well, Isaiah's a prophet, Isaiah's a preacher. You know what that means? This is the best he's got. Listen, let me put it to you like this. This is the best 30 minutes I have all week long. You, you tracking with me? Before God, this is as good as it gets between me and God all week long. Right? This is as righteous as Dallas as it gets. Some of y'all think, well, it ain't that righteous. Well, this is all I got. Before God, here's what I mean. I'm more righteous in this moment right now than I am at Thursday night, on Thursday night, when I'm biting my tongue, right, not to say something smart to my wife or not to yell at my kid. You see what I'm saying? In that moment, right, that, that's not the best I got. In this moment, this is the best I got. So get this. I understand God thinking I'm a sinner on Thursday night, but on, up here on Sunday morning, I feel pretty good, right? Like, this is the best I got. I'm doing good. Here's what Isaiah says. The best I got is this filthy rags before you, God. That's what he's saying. God, the, this is all I got, and it ain't good enough. I'm, I'm a sinner. God, forgive me. I'm a sinner. And notice what happens. The seraphim takes a coal from the altar. Now, this is really important, okay? The coal from the altar, who cares that it's a coal? What happened, what's important is that it came from the altar. Now, if you don't know Old Testament history, let me give you a little quick lesson real quick. Old, in the Old Testament, there, uh, the altar was the place that the sacrifices were made for the forgiveness of sin. You may not know, but in the Old Testament, the Bible says this, there is no remission of sin without the uh, passing of blood. In other words, no one can be forgiven unless there's blood spilled for that person. And here's what that means. Somebody's got to pay for what you do wrong. Is everybody tracking with that? In the Old Testament, the way they did this was they would take a sheep or a goat and they would put it on the altar and they would sacrifice it and that blood would be the payment for what you had done wrong. Okay? Now, this is Old Testament. So the seraphim, the angel, takes that coal and that, on that coal, the blood of the sacrifice would have dripped down onto the coal and he takes that coal, listen, and he takes that coal and he touches it to Isaiah's lips. So get this. It is the blood of the sacrifice that purifies Isaiah. Now, what does the New Testament say? The New Testament says there is no longer need for the shedding of the blood of, bu of bulls and goats or lambs because Jesus Christ went in and made a sacrifice once and for all. So here's what the New Testament says, that on that altar, Jesus Christ actually went and laid down, and now Jesus Christ's blood has dripped down onto the coal, and Jesus Christ himself brings you that coal and forgives you of your sin. 
You see, Isaiah understands this fundamental reality, and he's forgiven by the blood of the sacrifice. And here's what we need to understand, that if we have any hope before God, our only hope before God is that he would take the blood of that sacrifice and he would apply it to our lips. Here's why this is important, guys. I, ho- I, ho- I hope that this doesn't seem harsh, I ho- but I-, I hope that we are beginning to form a picture. Listen to me. If we want to be people who are used by God, this is where it starts. It starts with understanding who God is, it starts with understanding who we are, and it starts with understanding what God has done for us. Because once we begin to understand what God has done for us, we'll begin to have a heart like Isaiah that says, God, I'll do anything, anytime, anywhere. And that's the heart Isaiah had as we get to the end of Isaiah 6. Look with me at Isaiah 6, verse 8. It says, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, Isaiah said, Here I am, send me. Notice what Isaiah says. Notice how we know Isaiah is completely surrendered to God. He's completely surrendered to God because he doesn't ask questions about what God wants him to do. He doesn't place limitations about what God wants him to do. God says, I got something for you to do. And Isaiah says, It doesn't matter what it is, God, I'll do it. And what I'm praying for is that we, as we come into the throne room of God and we see what he's done for us, we might say, God, I don't care what it is you have to ask us to do. I'll do it. Here's my life, Lord. Take more and more and more of me just so I can have more and more and more of you. So listen, at this point, what we want to do is we want to be real clear about our next steps as a church over the next couple of years. So Wayne, uh, our lead pastor, Wayne Bray, has got a message that, all, that every campus, including downtown, is seeing today uh, from this video. So he's going to give us all of our next steps, and then I'm going to come back up and tie things up and practically for Harrison Bridge, okay? Look at the video for just a minute. Hey, everybody. My name's Wayne Bray, lead pastor here at Upstate Church. I just want to say how proud I am to be a part of this team. Man, you've got an amazing teaching pastor. No matter what campus you're at today, uh, Dustin, Dallas, Will, Ashley, man, all four of them are fantastic. And I'm just grateful that uh, they're all part of the team of Upstate Church. And, and here's the cool thing. You're part of that team, too. You know, this is 11 services, five campuses, thousands of people coming together in a common mission. That's really what brings us together is our love for Jesus and our desire to really follow in the footsteps that he has laid out for us. And so really that's what we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks. We started last Sunday in this series called One, introducing the One Initiative. We, we started by bringing unity and saying, hey, you know, this is what we're about together. We can do more together than separately. We're better together, right? And so with that in mind, we talked about one church. Well, today we're talking about one prayer and the prayer is God use us. You've been looking at Isaiah chapter six. And uh, man, I tell you what, no doubt a powerful passage where Isaiah in verse one of chapter six basically just sees God for who he really is, right? High and lifted up. But then by verse five, his eyes are on himself and he sees himself for who he really is. Woe is me, man, I'm a sinner, right? And so we understand this is true of us in the same way. When we see God for who he really is, that's when we see ourselves for who we really are. And and here's the kind of take home from here. When we see God for who he really is, we only have one natural response, at least only one good one. And that is, man, we've got to go where he leads. We've got to do what he says. 
our answer should be the same answer that Isaiah gave, and that is, here I am, send me. And so that's where we find ourselves even today. We, we, man, we're hearing the challenge from the Word, and we recognize this is not a negotiable situation. We've got to really answer the call. We've got to, we've got to say, okay, what's my next steps? You know, what, what am I supposed to do with this information? Which is always the, the challenge when we're looking at a message, when we're hearing uh, you know, our teaching pastor is like, no, we don't, we don't want to just hear good words. We want, to, we want to see steps in our lives that actually mean something. And so here's the thing today. I want to challenge you with a next step. In the books that you received last week, if you didn't get it last week, you need to get it this week. It's a, it's a handbook, really, for the One Initiative. Uh, there's a, a kind of a copy of this card and this card is going to be handed out next week on every campus. And so everybody here is going to have an opportunity to get this card next week. If you look at page 17, it's going to have it kind of laid out for you. You can go ahead and look at the specifics on this card. You may say, why are you talking about a card, man? We're, you know, we're talking about Isaiah 6. Well, again, we want to give you a practical tool. We want to give you like something in your hands to help you be obedient to the call of God in your life related to your part in this mission in the upstate. And so with that in mind, these next steps are going to be very specific. Uh, on that card, there are actually three different squares, all right? So if you look at that page 17, you're going to see three different squares there that basically outline three challenges, or I'll say it like this, three commitments that I'm going to make. I'm going to tell you, I've checked the boxes, man. And, and your teaching pastor... They've all checked the boxes. None of us are holding back. And those three boxes represent really commitments that we're willing to make. The first one is about last week. And as one church, this first commitment is, yeah, man, I'm committed to be an ambassador of unity. I'm, I'm willing to be a promoter of unity in upstate church. I'm all about cross-campus unity, bringing this thing together. We're one church, we're one body, and we're on one mission. And so with that in mind, that's all about unity first box. And so if that's you, the next week when you get that card, bro, you need to check the box. All right, that, that's you. Second box is about surrender. All right. And so we're not just one church, but we all share one prayer. And this prayer is God use us. The same prayer Isaiah prayed in Isaiah 6 in that, in that whole moment of here I am, send me God. And so God use me no matter what, whatever the question is, my answer is yes. If that's you, then you need to check box two because you're saying, man, I'm going to share that prayer with you. Wayne, I, I'm, I'm willing to pray that prayer with Dallas, with Dustin, with Will, with Ashley. I, I'm going to pray that prayer with you guys. Yes, God, use me. Whatever it means, man, I surrender. Now, here's the thing. Big elephant in the room. There's a financial component under surrender, but I don't want you to get distracted from your commitment to the whole because of your reluctance with the part. And so look, don't, don't get messed up or sidetracked because you see a dollar figure. Here's what I, I do believe is so true about this initiative. All right, this commitment card is not so much about you surrendering your finances as it is about you surrendering your life. And so look, if, if you're here and you're like, man, forget the money thing, here's what I'm telling you. The question is, are you willing to surrender your life? If your answer is yes, check that box, all right? Not just number one, but number two. Now, I would encourage you to go ahead and look at that. What am I giving right now? What will I give for the next two years? That's a total number for the next two years. And then what's a one-time gift on the big give? 
The reason that's important is it helps me to actually put it down on a piece of paper to hold me accountable. I'm actually making a commitment. But then in addition to that, it does help us plan ahead as far as a church. So I would encourage you to put that. But look, don't miss the, the big point. And that is, yes, one church, unity. One prayer, I'm surrendering. And then the third part of that, if you'd say, what's the, the last part of my commitment next week? Seven days from now, you're going to have an opportunity to turn in this commitment card. And that third square is about you saying, I'm willing to be a witness. And I'm willing to, to, to give my one life and devote it toward trying my very best to reach one life. I, I want to go all in in the sense of evangelism. I want to I share my faith. I want to be a witness. So yeah, my neighbor, my community, my, the person across the hall in the dorm, you know, or, or the man I, or woman I work with, or my family member, no matter who it is, yeah, God, the next two years, I want to I be an instrument that you use. I want to be your hands and your feet. I want to bring somebody to Jesus. That's a huge commitment. And that's really, that's all it's about, man. This initiative is about those three things. So the question is not, are there clear next steps out of this message? Man, they are in your face. <laughs> they are there. It's not a question of, I don't really know what to do. No, the question is, are you willing to do it? The question is, am I willing to be a promoter of unity? Am I willing to do everything that God calls me to do? I'll surrender it all. And am I willing to, to share my faith and to be a witness over the next couple of years? Uh, the next seven days, I want you to look at page 17 a lot, man. Look through the contents of the book. Really pray about it every day. What are you asking, God, of me? What should I give of myself, of my time, of my resources? And then am I invested enough in this church? Am I really one enough to put it on a piece of paper and to bring it to the altar next Sunday and to leave it there? And that's a big question. And I think it's one that we all need to answer. Here, here's the truth. When we see God for who he really is, there really is only one acceptable response. And that is that we do what he says to do. We go where he leads us. And our answer is just like Isaiah's. Here I am. Send me. As we close, the worship band's about to play a song called Glory, Honor, and Power. And here's honestly what I'm hoping and praying that we would, like Isaiah, see God for who he is one final time this morning. Because here's what I know, guys. If we see God for who he really is, it will change everything. I really believe that. I really believe that. And so as we close, let me say this. Just in terms of practical next steps for Harrison Bridge, for you in this room. When it comes to the Old Testament prophets, we really got one of three options, okay? We can be like Jonah, right? And everybody remembers Jonah. He didn't want to go to Nineveh. He didn't want to go preach the word. We can be like Jonah. We can say, here I am, God, but don't send me. We can be like Moses. We can say, here I am, God, but I really wish you'd send someone else. Or we can be like Isaiah and say, here I am, God, send me. And so I want to encourage you just to ask a really dangerous but really practical question for you. God, how do you want to use me? Can it be that God might want to use you, you in particular, to be a promoter of unity in our church? Is that possible that you could be a promoter? 
Could it be that God wants to use you here on Sunday mornings to make a difference at Harrison Bridge? Could it be that we have have volunteer spots in students and volunteer spots in kids and volunteer spots on mission projects and on host teams that are empty because you have not said, here I am, God, send me? How does God want to use you? Could it be that God actually is, for the first time, calling you to give of your own time and your own resources? And listen, yes, of your own finances. I don't know why preachers feel so awkward about this. I'm not going to make it awkward. Yes, God and the Bible say that you should give your money. All right, I, there. All right, if you don't like it, email me. D. Wilson or W. Bray at fbsimpsonville.org, all right? <laughs> But I, and listen, if that just makes you feel awkward that we're talking about how you should give of your time and of your money, then Jesus is going to make you feel real awkward, all right? Because I th- here, as your pastor, I would encourage you to tithe. You know what Jesus says? Go sell all that you have and give it to the poor, okay? You choose which one, all right? No. All right, Chuck's with me. But yes, that, that is a part of it, guys. But listen, maybe you're not at a tithe. Here's what I would say. This is about... This is about coming into the throne room and saying, God, one day at a time, one moment at a time, would you have more of me? Maybe you're not a tither yet. Can you give 1%? Listen, let's step into that. Let's step into the places where God's called us to serve. Let's step into those moments where God's called us. Hey, I want to use you in this way. Here's the final way. Think about this. And this is probably what I'm most passionate about, and we're going to talk about this next week. But what would change? And I, I mean, you've got to be serious about picturing this. What would change if every one of us in this room just said, we're going to pray for one person, and we're going to do whatever we can for this one person to come to know Jesus over the next two years? What would change? Everything would change. And so would you be willing to put your yes on the table and say, here I am, God, send me. Pray with me. Dear Lord, Over the next few moments, would you just take us into the throne room one more time? God, I thank you for Isaiah 6 in my own life. Dear God, it's been instrumental for me. And I just pray that you would change lives even here with it today. In Jesus' name, amen.